HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit rt11.com. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Mary Izette. From Fomentabody. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. It's Monday afternoon at 1 p.m., and I'm in the backyard of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and that means it is time for Tech Bites, the weekly radio podcast where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. I'm Jennifer Lee to your host, and before we get things started, I want to introduce some of the other folks in the studio who are critical to turning this awesome shipping container conversation into webcast radio. First up, we have Jack Inslee, who is the station's executive producer and DJ host of Full Service Radio on Thursday nights. Hello. Hi, happy Jack. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Yeah, it is kind of a happy Monday because it's summer and it's mm. hot and it's nice. Indeed. You can smell the pizza. Also in the back there, we have our associate producer, Declan. Hello, hello. Hi. Who graduated from um, our intern to associate producer, so he's moving on up. And our in-studio guests today are the co-founders of a food delivery startup called Our Harvest, Scott Reich. 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 Hi. Hello. <laughs> and Mike Winnick. How are you? I am doing pretty good. How are you? Thank you for coming out. Thanks. Thanks for having us. to be here. So the first thing that we do on Tech Bites is we start every episode almost like a great meal with an appetizer. And we talk about apps that we've just discovered that we love, old favorites. Um, I'm going to kick it off with an app that I discovered actually riding the L train out to Bushwick. And I they, they, do, they tend to, on the L train, do these uh, subway car takeovers where every single ad in the car is the same thing. And this one, so it's hard to kind of... Um, ignore it actually comes from the new york city department of education it's called feed your mind and it's a free app for apple and android and it is about where to find uh school 
breakfast, lunch, and snacks that are available during the summer when kids aren't in school. And I thought it was a really cool thing. And in addition to um, which schools and rec centers have the meals, it also shows you where there's libraries, where there's parks, where there's swimming pools and all that kind of stuff. And then we'll even tell you if you go to, you know, this rec center for breakfast, they'll have what the menus are and and all that. So I thought that was pretty cool and a really great resource, you know, in the summer. So you can find out where you can get a snack and get a swim all in New York City. So if you like that kind of thing and you're into school food, you might also want to check out, we have a really cool show called Inside School Food with Laura Stanley, which is just before this show on Mondays at 11 a.m. That's my little PSA app. Nice plug, too. Yeah. Well, you know, it's all together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> every You know, but it, every time I see something, often it will lead me back to a heritage show because all roads lead to the shipping container. <laughs> Our new tagline. Well, Heritage Radio is ground zero for the foodie revolution in this country, I think. Um, Jack, do you have an app for us? I'm going to, I want to follow back up on the Apple Music app, which I kind of teased out. I was like, yeah, I'm going to try it. And um, it's great. I have to say it's great. I think, I think Spotify is, uh, and certainly Tidal are in some trouble because. It's well. First of all, it's a three-month trial, which is super nice. But you load up the app. It it asks you a series of questions about different genres of music and which ones you like more than others. Based on your answers, it gives you a list of artists and says, "Tell me your favorites." Gives you, I think, another list that says, "Tell me some you don't like" or something like that. And then it builds you all these recommendations, which are for me. I mean. I'm looking right now. They're all incredible recommendations. At least four of the artists here are f- friends of mine in real life, which is incredible that they're able to pull that. Did, are they? Did you log in at all with Facebook, or what? What no. kind of data is it? Is it aggregating from your profile? It, as I understand, has aggregated from my answers to their questions. So it's not pulling in information from iTunes or Apple Pay or any other things you're doing in the Apple universe. Not to my knowledge. Um, Not to my knowledge. <laughs> Asterisk. You know, I don't. I don't know. But no, it was great. I was upstate and in a place with very limited cell service, and I was able to pull up a song I wanted to hear, and it it played without any advertisement, and it's uh, it's incredibly convenient. Okay, so Jack, thumbs up with the Apple Music. I think so. The okay. jury's still out a little bit, but for, okay. so far so good. And then one more quick shout out to Waze. Speaking of being upstate, uh, which again has helped me navigate through some dicey traffic situations, and um, I'm trying to contribute more to Waze. So I'm keeping uh, giving my phone to Odetta while I drive, and she like she's you know thumbs upping or thumbs downing different construction zones or you know you, you can contribute and it gives you points for kind of helping to you know add to that community so another right. shout out to ways we I'm, use ways all the time yeah we'll second yeah nice. for your delivery services and your trucks Just and getting around all the logistics and the supply chain yeah okay yeah. what are you what scott what's your favorite app right now uh, well, Waze is certainly the one that I use uh, the most, um, okay. and uh, so I mean that's we're on the road, and uh, it's been very helpful. Yeah, that's been the lifesaver for us. I mean, to be running routes out east, upstate, down into Pennsylvania, other places to pick up our food, to have that to save traffic, to save time, has just really been you know really helpful. Do you use that app the most because your personal life is now your work life, or do you have <laughs> things that are not work related that you like? No, definitely, mostly the former, unfortunately. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. 
Declan, do you have an app for us? Yes, I do. Um, it is called, I think someone might have mentioned it uh, earlier, uh, a few episodes ago, but it's called Photo with three H's. It's really, really cool. I like it a lot better than Instagram. Um, basically, it's like you, it takes four really quick photo uh, pictures and then it turns it into like a GIF um, and it plays it backwards and forwards. And I, I don't know, me and my friends have just been messing around on it a lot and you can make some really, really creative and very cool things on it. And it's just a lot of fun. And I think it like, it causes me to be a lot more creative rather than something like Instagram, which is just a picture or a video, and it's just really, really cool. I would recommend checking it out. I love the photo app, and one of the things that I'm disappointed every time I go to it is most none of my friends are really on it. I don't have that many people to follow. So, Declan, what is your handle on photo? Because then I can follow you, and now there's some other stuff for me to look at. It's Keto, K-I-E-D-O, just, just that. And that, for those of you following along at home, is Declan's DJ handle. Yes. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Now, on to our harvest with Scott and Mike. They are childhood friends who stayed friends through life and went into Ivy League schools and came out as an attorney and a finance guy. And we're going along at that and decided, like many young entrepreneurs do. They wanted to do something that would make a difference. And they looked around and they decided that the big difference they wanted to make was in food, in the food supply chain and kind of fixing the food supply chain and fixing, um, you know, hunger issues and food distribution issues in this country are definitely trending topics in the food community, in the political community. And when you put food and tech together, they're definitely top of the list. So they've been in business for about a year putting together um, trial and error vendors, uh, digital interface, and they recently, a month a month ago or so, launched delivery service in New York City. They had started outside the city. So in essence, what they do is they have a online, right now, online mobile, but not an app, That's right. where you go and you order food very similarly to if you were on, you know... Fresh Direct or Instacart or Farmigo or really any kind of, you know, a nice catalog, you know, with your square tiles of your descriptions and your pretty pictures. And you select your market, either pickup location or delivery. You click, click, you pay, and then it comes to you. And the idea is that they are sourcing from local farmers, fishermen, purveyors, and other artisans. So the concept is you have a farmer's market-like product and experience delivered to you or you go and you pick up and you're sort of guaranteed to know what you're getting and the transaction is on a credit card so you don't have to worry about it. And so that creates theoretically a better experience for the consumer. Theoretically, it creates a better experience, financial, economic experience for the vendors, purveyors, and artisans. And then just to make sure you're you know, really giving it the go for making the world a better place for every order of $25 or more. They give money to Food Bank for New York City and other local things. So they have a lot of things going on. Um, and they're definitely in the, uh, you know, sort of food tech entrepreneur space, which we love to talk about here on Tech Bites. One of the things that we've been talking a lot about, though, is 
because of the way the world works today, because people shop online, because they shop on mobile, because they plug in their credit cards, you are a food delivery company and a food service company. How much of your business is tech-based? And are you really a tech company because you are online and you're digital and you talk a lot about how you need to aggregate data on the back end to make things work? But I'm, I'm very interested in the discussion of because so much of the technology that you use today is simply the price of entry for dealing with consumers in the 21st century, how much of it is just business as usual and how much of it is tech? There's, there's a good amount of tech. So we like to call ourselves a tech-enabled business because obviously food is food. You're not, there's no like computer chip in your, hopefully not, in your apples, right? So the idea of and using... And the farmers and artisans that you're dealing with are probably extremely low-tech. Extremely low tech. I mean, some some are some are definitely more sophisticated than others, but many. I mean, you still have to call, literally call them to get the orders in, as opposed to use you know sites you know that we try to push them electronically. Um, but the whole idea is to use technology to be able to track and understand how customers are shopping, what they're purchasing, when they're purchasing it, and to try to give in advance as much you know notice to our suppliers to let them know there's going to be stability, certainty to what they're what they're selling and what they're carrying and what they're producing. And so ultimately, the idea is if farms can you know take the data that we're able to generate from what our customers are interested in they could better predict and better grow and more efficiently grow without waste and without uh you know ultimately you know losses is the time frame window between when people order what what's the average window of time from someone ordering on the website and then picking up the food or uh, having the food delivered it's generally two to three days and the concept behind that is is that given that we're sourcing all the products locally we need to have a little bit of a window to coordinate with all of our suppliers and we've been fortunate to have a fair amount of growth over the last year and so now that we're coordinating uh and, and having regular dialogues with so many different suppliers on such a regular and frequent basis uh we do need that window we're, we're always focused on ensuring that um you know the window is not going to expand because we want customers to be able to get as, as much as close to the immediate satisfaction that they can get given that we're sourcing locally is two but two to three windows in terms of a farm product and a product that's grown or a, you know something that's coming from the water you know fish these are natural things and most of them take more than a day or two to grow so even though you have this data and you have the orders of you know what people want and what they're ordering how does that turn around and, and help the farmers in the sense that the window is, is not enough for them to, you can't grow in, more strawberries or... In the near term, especially with like newer farms that we have, that, that's the case. But with farms that have been with us now over a year, we're giving them stability in terms of what, what they've purchased. And we, we are able to look out and see. So for example, we have a farm that we partnered with on Long Island that's been with us for about a year now. And that farm is specifically growing items that our customers liked last summer that we know that you know, we're going to want to move and want to sell. And so they're able to change their habits to, to know what's, what's, in, what's not, not just what, you know, they micro generally, but also very targeted specific products. So like, for example, weird heirloom varieties of summer squash that you don't see typically in a green market that our customers went crazy over last summer and not something they typically grow. But since our customers loved it this summer, they planted a lot more of it. And so that takes time to develop, but it's definitely something that you know, we're focused on. It's also a nice tie-in to your point before about about technology generally is an ordinary course of business, and uh, we are a data-driven company because when we observe what customers are purchasing, the outlook that Mike is describing is giving us a chance to have some of that predictability. And so when you take some of the longer-term products that you're, you're alluding to in terms of growth, so take chickens as an example. Obviously, chickens don't get grown in two or three days. It's going to take <laughs> eight to 12 weeks to raise a, a bird to maturity that we're selling. But because of our very strong relationship with Cascoon Farm, which is our chicken supplier, 
Fire. Uh, we've been working with them since our inception. Uh, we owe it, we're in a constant dialogue and telling them what we're anticipating is going to happen much further out than the two to three day uh, time period from the order deadline for a consumer to the time that they would get the product delivered. And so we're able to predict and give them a sense of what our volume is going to be, which is incredibly helpful to them. And to the extent that we predict incorrectly, you know, the benefit to the farmers that we're not we're not impacting the farmer's experience. We're taking the product from them. If we say we're taking it, we're taking it. And so we remove a lot of the burden on the farmer itself to to us, which is very helpful from their perspective because they don't have the capital resources necessary to sustain losses like that. So you're using your data to predict volumes, and then you basically put in an advance order for a volume to come to harvest or term or delivery. You're basically, you know, shopping futures with your farm partners to a certain extent. Do you set pricing also or just volumes well, or? It's it's a mix of both. So we work directly in terms of setting pricing. It's very close, like, rapport with the farmer. So, for example, we'll look and see what we think is a mean we Everything we sell is very fair price, so we'll go into stores and understand what a fair price is for different kinds of product, and we'll go to the farmer and say, hey, this is what we think we need to be able to sell it to expand the number of people that can actually afford to, sh- to buy this product, and if there's a, a price that we can work out with the farmer, great, otherwise we won't carry the product, or you know, we'll have the farm grow something else that works for them. And so it's, a, it's an ongoing, constant dialogue with the farmer to make sure that they're getting their fair share and the consumer's getting a fair price. And it's not a heavy negotiation because what will happen is, I mean, our pricing is transparent, of course, because anyone can go to our website and see what right. we're selling everything for. And so it's as simple as saying, you know, what do you need? What do you want to sell this to us for? And can it work with the, you know, with the end price? So it's a very, it's a, we we're going to jump in and take a break in a minute. But when we come back, we're going to talk about with it being such a hands-on, you know, person to small farm, small business to small farm, how you can scale it. Absolutely. But before we talk about that, we're going to talk about who is sponsoring Tech Bytes today. And the break song today, courtesy of the one and only Rec Tech. Be right back. program has been brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 Potato Chips dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. An incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 Potato Chips believes comfort food should be just that. Know where your food comes from. For more information, visit rt11.com. Well, if you've just tuned in and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes on heritageradionetwork.org. And on Tech Bytes, we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is at a website called ourharvest.com. And we're talking with founders Scott Rishi 
Reich. Reich. I'm, I'm going to get it right before the show ends. And Mike Winnick, who don't come from supermarket, farming, food, data, or tech, and have just decided to jump in and start this business about a year ago. And we're talking about how their business is really driven in large part by data, what their customers want, projecting, going back to the farmers to try and make the food distribution cycle as efficient as possible. So with neither of you coming from really a tech background or a, in finance, maybe you came from a forecasting background, did you? Definitely spent a lot of time with data and also technology. So, When you put the company together, was that one of the first things you built or was that the first thing you hired, your tech people, the models? The, I think the most important thing we started the business was actually making sure that farms would actually be interested in doing this. So we spent a lot of time trying to identify the issues in the, in the supply chain. Technology, you know, is, is great, but if you don't have the relationships and the infrastructure with the suppliers to be part of it, the technology won't, won't serve any purpose. So for us, it was finding those farms, getting, that, getting them signed up, and then, you know, in the background, working with different tech companies to try to get things launched and set up. So you outsource on your tech for yes. the most part. Yes. And in terms of dealing with the farmers, we've had some different, um, some interesting guests on the show. We had a couple gentlemen on who have a company called Shoebox, which is back of the house service for point of purchase, where they aggregate into a database all of your invoices. And they come from the restaurant world, and one, both of them have spent time as chefs. And one of the things that they talked about is when you want to deal with the best artisan purveyors, somebody will show up with a box of strawberries and a Post-it note that says $37. Constant battle. <laughs> have you been required to bring tech into the business space of your partners? Or do you work around that? In terms of our suppliers themselves? In terms of your suppliers themselves, do you work around that? Well, as, as we mentioned before, m many of the suppliers with whom we work prefer not to use tech on, the, on their side, and so it becomes uh, a little bit difficult to, 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 to persuade them to do that if their preference is not to do so. But that uh, points a finger toward the larger picture of what's going on here because we're offering a truly curated experience in an old-fashioned way, simply uh, just using modern technology. So what we mean by that is that we're offering the kind of experience people would get at their butcher shop, their seafood place, you know, the fishmonger, the milkman, except all in one place. And so we're the ones who are usually using all that data and, 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 and aggregating it. But when it comes to dealing with the suppliers themselves, it's sort of the way it was a long time ago when we basically tried to predict what we were going to need and uh, try to be as efficient as possible based on the data that we've been collecting. Yeah, And that, and that change is, is gradual. So you know that the farms themselves aren't going to change overnight into being super tech savvy and so you do little things that you can like you give someone an ipad right just to be able to track like on a google doc or something as simple as that what you know what the weights are of some products that are coming in and then knowing that since they're not you know not particularly tech focused to be able to you know have our systems be flexible enough to support their you know their their constraints is something that's been important for us so how do you scale that how do you scale that beyond you know, a, a small regional area, or how do you scale it beyond capacities of, of a small farm? Because what makes part of what makes these products so special and amazing are small production, limited supply, and oftentimes these types of items have short windows of availability because they're hyper seasonal. How do you scale and, and grow a business? The, the, the most important thing is to create a lot of micro food hubs, is what I would call them. So, in even within like New York, like different areas within New York, within 
towns where people have lots of farms are aggregated together to get them basically working together as a group to grow is really I think how you scale it because you build you create hubs in lots of different little little locations and 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 you're able to extend seasons and able to distribute product and if one farm that has certain growing standards you know their romaine dies if the neighboring farm has the romaine it works out so trying to build regional hubs like that hyper hyper local hubs is really one of the most important parts of scaling the business it also impacts how we portray our available product offerings to customers because, for the most part, our staples are going to be in stock all the time. But for the highly seasonal products that we do offer, just like you would see at a regular green market, uh, there's something exciting and cool and special about knowing that you can only get something for a limited time or that there may be a limited quantity available. And so there are instances where something that is highly seasonal or, or is baked in small batches and, and requires a longer lead time to be potentially sold out or of a limited quantity. And so from our customer's perspective, it's actually nice because it increases their level of engagement. They want to see what's in. They want to, They follow our social media posts. They want to see what we're featuring in our weekly emails or blog posts, and that translates directly into sales and their purchasing habits. So the technology piece is definitely on the product supply and management side. And then the next piece of the technology is the interface with the customers. And you talk about the old-time experience, the butcher shop, the fishmonger, all those types of things. I'm assuming that you mean all-time experience in terms of what's on offer that day or the quality of the product or something being, you know, smaller and a hand cut, but no one is actually speaking to anyone. So part of that experience of going to your butcher shop and your fishmonger is speaking to the person or having them know you and say, I, I'm having 17 people over for a barbecue. What's What looks good? What should I cook? Can you tell me about that? There, there are a couple of elements of that. First, actually, part of our business model in many locations is that we, ha- we, we still have pickup locations, and so we're going to be bringing that into the boroughs as well. Right now, they're on Long Island, but customers do have the opportunity to interface with us. And learn After about they've risk. made the purchase, though, so not while I'm making the Correct, purchase. Correct, but, but, we, but we also do get a very large volume of customer inquiries of people asking about specific products and quantities and how things might be prepared, and so we're always focused on not not only satisfying them with an immediate response, but also with detailed information to help what they're so, doing. It's one so of the most, yeah, it's one of the most critical components of our business is that we have very strong customer service. Obviously, everyone says they have strong customer service. Everyone does. But, but, but we expect, <laughs> but we want our customers to come and tell us what they want. So, for example, we take whole animals with beef. If a customer comes in and says they need a five-pound chuck roast, we'll do our best to get them a five-pound chuck roast. Right. And so we want our customers to come in and tell us what they're interested. Hey, how, I'm having a party. How should I, what should right. I serve? How should I do this? And we, we react and respond so to that works great when you have the community pickup place and it sort of replicates that market experience, that person-to-person experience. What happens in the case of I ordered online, I don't have that person-to-person experience, and then I get my delivery in Manhattan via Uber, which is a recent partnership um, using Uber to deliver in, I think it's Manhattan and Brooklyn? Yes. Is the driver going to help me out with a recipe for that? The, the driver's not, but our communication with the customer throughout the process is going to tell them that, hey, let us know if there's any issues, if there's any questions right. you have, there's anything we can help you with, whether it's you know how to cook the steak or whether it's you know what should I serve to a group of 17 in advance. And that's what we that's what we So really people do that through the digital through the customer digital service channels, either through Facebook or Twitter or on the website or something like that. Absolutely. And there's actually also a higher level of transparency in our business than you would get at the typical brick-and-mortar grocery store or some of the more industrialized online players. So if you look at our products we specify it's not transparency it was that old time butcher fishmonger 
experience that. Sure, that but, we were but what about. I but what I was alluding to more is that we 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 aim to tell the supplier stories a little bit, and part of our our business model is getting customers to trust the brand and what we do. And so, for a lot of people who may not be accustomed to ordering online, there is a little bit of an obstacle for their first order. But then they see the quality of the product that we offer, and we're, we're personally inspecting our team. Uh, they're highly trained. We're working with high quality suppliers, and so we're not going to give a, a a product that we're not proud to stand behind. Yeah, it's, so it goes. That's, to, an, that's an interesting point, though. You know, transparency and and trained people, curated, um, high quality. You know, I, I do think people are used to ordering food online. Certainly in the metropolitan New York metro area, you have Whole Foods, Fresh Direct, Instacart, um, uh, Farmigo, all those kinds of things. You even have you know Mouth, um, a lot of the different Blue Apron. You know, there's a, a whole range of food delivery services right now. It's actually one of the top, 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 I think, categories of, of businesses that are growing, which is exciting for you guys. But again, you come from finance and banking, and you're doing this because of you know passion, love, and drive, and, and want to create something that's going to have a lasting, positive impact. When you go to Whole Foods, they're very transparent on their website about what they, where they're buying from, what their standards are, what they will and won't you know, buy what the different certifications mean, what, you know, natural means, what organic means. So you have all that information. Who, who's, who are the people who are training your staff? Who are the people who are curating? When you say high quality, great. Is that because Scott and Mike said so? <laughs> I mean, give, give you an example. So like, like chicken, which we have, Scott mentioned the farm before, you know, before we selected a, a chicken supplier, before we figured out what we wanted, we visited 20 different farms. The team visited 20 right. different farms and said, okay, some of them were eliminated because the standards weren't high mm-hmm. enough in terms of raising the chickens. Some of them were eliminated because the quality wasn't good enough. Right. And then we basically came down to what we felt was the best, both, both from a standard perspective and from a quality perspective. And every single farm on our site is curated that way. Right. So you'll see in, in the middle of, you know, apple season, we'll sell. But based on what? Based on we're we're obviously trying the products, but we have a wide group of people that we work with, you know, that yeah. in an informal capacity to basically do the little trial and error that you alluded to at the beginning of the show. Yeah. And so, um, you know, there, no one's to say necessarily that you know th- this is the best or this is the, the, the you know or that is the best without actually trying it. And so, what we do is we 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 experiment with a product based on the best of our knowledge and the best of our uh, background, and then we give right. it to customers and see what their reactions are. And because we have a constant dialogue with customers on a regular basis, we're mm-hmm. we're able to. Get get their feedback and because going back to the data thing we're able to see what products are selling when right. products sell of we course. know that it works and a really cool example of what we did uh, we, we sell a coffee from gentle brew they're a they're a coffee roaster out on long island and we gave free samples of several kinds of coffee to our customers not just from gentle brew from other vendors and that was the one that we got the most positive feedback from there are definitely things that you know run in the social media world about, you know, trial and error, nature's box, that kind of thing. What do you like? Who likes this? What's that? And then you aggregate things up based on what your customers like. And they're very much about um, the public voice and, and what people want. And, you know, that's great because then people actually can drive right to what they want when they're in that form. It's just an interesting point of view to me from one sense because people are getting more and more specific about what do things mean? What does organic mean? What does natural mean? What does artisan mean? And, you know, I no doubt you guys are doing your due diligence and all that kind of stuff, but that's all behind the scenes. So when I look at all the different websites of all my different food choices, and my friends use this one, and my friends use that one because I saw it on Facebook, and that's great, so I'm going to give you a try, and the word of mouth thing is really wonderful. 
But I, I, I'm curious to know if saying, you know, we did research and we said so, so that's okay, will take you, or if at some point do you think you'll need to say, we only work with farms that have these levels of certification, you know, either in terms of their workers, their, you know, agriculture, their environmental status, we only have, you know, produce that is, you know, do you have to say pesticide-free? Do you have to say hormone-free? Like, do you have to make those decisions and, you know, points about your product known or visible at some point? Or is it enough for people to say, I've had a great experience, I love this product, I love going to pick my thing up, and that works for me? Everything we have is visible. So, like, our products say whether they're pesticide-free, whether they're organic, or whether they're natural. Like, I mean, in the product description, we make sure we make it clear what the customer is getting. So the customer sees that it's full transparency, and the transparency is a a level even deeper than you'd get if you went to a typical grocery store, because it's not just the transparency on that particular item, but the transparency on where that item came from. And that's something I think that's missing in a lot of the grocery stores. Even you go to like a Whole Foods or something like that, you know, you, you don't know exactly where it's. You know, it's coming from California, but you don't know it's coming from this part of California or from this right. particular farm. And if you could see what farm it's coming from and understand what that farm's practices are, because we describe and explain it, you know, there's there's a huge amount of information that you're able to process and make a decision for you whether that product or that item is right for you to consume or for your family to consume. Which is part of our ongoing dialogue because we do get a large number of, of inquiries about particular products. And because we disclose who the suppliers are, we do hear from customers that they call some of the suppliers directly to find out about Are the suppliers practices. ready for that? They are. Um, I mean, the, we, we've only selected suppliers who share our vision and philosophy for being open and transparent and clean about how they're raising or growing their products. And uh, so, so absolutely. I, I would be curious. That would be funny, I think, if a farmer wasn't expecting to sort of get a call, like a customer call, like, hi, is this, you know, Cascade Farms? I just bought your strawberries. Can you tell me about how you raise them? We, we, try, we try our best to keep those, you know, in-house for us. But to the extent that customers want to do that, they, well, you, they can. And you can today. I mean, that's sort of the amazing thing. The amazing thing about the Internet and social media and technology in the world that we live in is I think people really feel not only empowered, but very comfortable and definitely within the, the realm of what they're allowed to do to reach out to companies and people and give them their opinion and ask questions, you know, if they're motivated and I think the the more people understand what's happening in the world, the more they you know want to ask and know when they make decisions about what they want and don't want. And we talk about customers making decisions. One of the more challenging things I think is that customers have been educated a certain way by a lot of larger chains, and that isn't necessarily the right the right way to have been educated or the right information. They've absorbed what's been told to them, but it's not necessarily the truth in terms of you know organic versus all natural versus no spray versus light spray. They don't they don't really have a sense of exactly the difference. And so to be able to communicate what is actually happening on that farm is really important. Yep. We've it's also seen a lot of informed consumers who have participated perhaps in CSAs or other farm shares in the past who love our service because they're able to get the benefits of, sor- of sourcing the products locally, getting the best of what's in season, but without minimums or subscription fees. You can create an account on our site for free simply by going to it and signing up. Um, the, you know, There's no minimum uh, order size in order to get a delivery if you're in Manhattan or Brooklyn, and that's important. You know, Going back to one of the other points you said before about training, when it comes to training, we're constantly talking to our team members about how we communicate all this information that customers ask. We're always about transparency. And the reality is it doesn't require special training to have integrity and to be able to have character behind the product. And we've heard a lot about other chains who are you know, putting different weights on items than they should be. And we're focused always on being honest and, and 
and open with customers. And that served us very well. And another part of this business that people can feel really good about is the social mission, which does differentiate us from a lot of our competitors because we're focused not only on helping the consumer gain access to high-quality fresh food, not only helping the farmer, but actually helping people who are in need right in our neighborhoods today. Yeah, there's a lot going on. You guys are very busy. And uh, I imagine you're only going to get busier. I wish we had more time to talk about the Uber component because that is exciting, I think, using Uber as your delivery service in Manhattan. I mean, just the halo effect that Uber would get being associated with, you know, a very positive social enterprise type company must have been very, must be very exciting for them also. Definitely. <laughs> I think so. so um, I want to thank my guests, Scott and Mike, from OurHarvest.com for coming out to Bushwick, Brooklyn, to talk to us about their new company. If you want to check them out, it's OurHarvest.com, and they're on social media, at OurHarvest, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I want to thank Jack and Declan for making it all happen, and thank Uptown Nico for the amazing tech song that we love that takes us home. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 